Hi, welcome to 26 Weeks of Awakening. Over the next 26 weeks, we'll spend time together discovering self. What's going on inside our minds? Our focus on pleasure-seeking versus staying present. Our illusion of happiness versus suffering. And the process of realizing that suffering exists and that there is a process to removing suffering from our lives and eventually being content in the daily moment or in the least seeing suffering arise knowing how it has come to be that way and understanding how to put it away again. So beginning this week, we will be talking about the awareness of suffering. So human beings spend the majority of their life energy in pursuit of ease and pleasure. And I think if if you look in your life, if I look in my life, we can see everything that we do in order to save up for dosing ourselves with that next injection of pleasure, whatever it may be, from vacations to great restaurants to a nice drive, um, a night out on the town, uh, gathering with friends and family. All of these things are about pleasure, about making us feel happy. This means a different quest for each individual, but no less a long and disappointing journey. All these things that that I just mentioned as far as vacations and get-togethers and restaurants and uh, material possessions and beautiful houses and fancy clothes, they still leave a gaping hole. And we'll find that even though we have those or, or participated in that moment, at the end of that moment the underlying cause for suffering or our basic self is still there. And that pleasure-seeking moment that we had did not solve that basic environment that runs inside us so deeply. Buddha also went on this quest, but he was different from most. Buddha sought to relieve the suffering of mankind to end life's suffering. And through his teachings, we learn in order to relieve suffering, it must first be understood. Where does suffering come from? The field of psychology has searched for answers behind human behavior and is able to articulate theories. Buddha came to understand man's suffering thousands of years ago observing the pain others were in and how they described why they were in anguish. Humans do not like to be insecure about their circumstances or future. This equates to health, shelter, and food. Our basic survival needs are the foundation for our suffering. Our first level of suffering begins there. A quest to avoid starvation, disease, homelessness, and vulnerability 
what is it that we fear about these things? Well, we fear death. Starvation leads to death. Disease leads to death. Homelessness leads to death. And vulnerability leads to death. Becoming aware of our suffering, our anxiety, our stress, and the underlying fears associated with them is important for learning the path of peacefulness or freedom from suffering. For me, I had to determine what was driving me to move faster, go farther, be better at everything I attempted. This developed into striving for the affection, attention, and love of someone else. I was living my life and my day-to-day decisions for the affection of others. If my significant other, family members, or friends were not happy with me, I would be so stressed that I would move heaven and earth in my life to gain their affection back again, to relieve the discomfort. This need controlled my every decision, every goal and accomplishment, and every interaction. It was a prison of burden, a prison of suffering. The suffering came when another person in my life felt discomfort, pain, loneliness, anxiety, sickness, trauma, failure, poverty, fear, or anything negative. For some deeply ingrained reason, I was moved to act in order to resolve the reason for the other's discomfort, no matter the cost, cost being material or emotional or spiritual. If I was unable to help or if my assistance did not accomplish pleasure or happiness, I felt defeated, unworthy, and guilty. All of my suffering was elusive and self-manifested. But stemming from my need for companionship and attention, countering the fear of loneliness and abandonment, knowing what was causing the majority of suffering in my life did not mean that I was able to clearly see my way from this and from then on behave differently. It just gave me awareness. This awareness became more regular with time. You see, we live entirely driven by our needs for social success, companionship, security, and identity. Our actions can be analyzed at such a level as we become aware of our own basic fear or survival instinct that motivates our behavior. For example, take men and women who are obsessed by their physical appearance. On the very outside of this, we see vanity and self-centeredness, but let's peel it back more. Why would a person be obsessed about their outward appearance? Most often we hear it's because they want to be healthy, or we hear they want to look good for their significant other, or to attract a significant other. Most of the time, we are concerned with our appearance for the approval, acceptance of others, We want those around us to think we're great. We want people who see us to think we're attractive. So we strive for that positive attention we receive from looking our very best. Survival instincts. They're at play yet again. In order to remain accepted, we do what we must. And our survival alone in the world is a lot harder and a lot less likely than our survival as part of a group or a community. Basic survival of species is at play too. To attract a mate, as well as have protection, 
we must be attractive to others. This is a human survival instinct. In this modern time, we take this to another level. With makeup, hair color, plastic surgery, workout routines, expensive clothing, accessories, perfume, and jewelry. All these things come right down to survival instincts. Being accepted by our family, friends, and community. This acceptance becomes deeply seated in our behavior patterns as our daily motivation to do most things. What do they think of me? How is she seeing me? Does he think I'm attractive? Do they value me at my job? Does my husband love me enough? Do I fit in? Do I seem successful? What do they think I'm worth? This is an example of our entanglements. Just like we have entanglements about our appearance physically, we can have them about status, wealth, pleasures, and security. The key is to notice what it is that we are clinging to. What is it that causes us the most distress if it goes away? I read many books by Pema Chodron, and many of the concepts taught me through her triggered awareness for me. Her knowledge on pointing out my grasping was on point. She showed me that I cling to control and I cling to caretaking. Eventually, I learned to understand the reasons why. Initially, it was just important for me to understand I was clinging and that grasping is what is the cause of my anxiety. Watching myself hold on tight to what I think is important, even vital, to my daily life was eye-opening. I became entangled for various reasons over my life, but mostly due to the expectations I had for how life was supposed to go, how I was supposed to fit in or succeed in society, and in some exact way as well. My life chapters and milestones were to happen in a certain order after obtaining a defined goal or a benchmark for success, security, and accomplishment. My dreams, desires, and expectations became my entanglements. These expectations I have for myself could potentially drive me into tailspins, off high dives, and into outer space from time to time. My thinking was that it was the obstacle in my desired pathway causing the anxiety or stress, because there was an obstruction in the middle of my planned route to happiness, which was throwing a wrench into my plans, dreams, and expectations. It was this obstacle, this hurdle, that was the source of my stress. My suffering was actually caused by me, encouraged by me, and fueled by me. Insisting on clinging to my dreams, my plans, my desires, and my expectations causes me suffering. Most of the time, our lives do not go exactly according to how we thought or dreamed they would. My focus and drive towards an idealistic expectation was the root to much of my suffering. Look at your idealistic expectations you have for yourself, your life, maybe even others close to you in their lives. Are there disappointments or dreams you are focused on that could be the cause of your disappointment, grief, and suffering? 
Seeing these feelings arise as we are facing our opportunities and our failures is a fantastic looking glass into our mind and our ego. Unwinding why my suffering existed around identity, reputation, close relationships, and money all pointed continually to my damaged self-esteem and my desire to be accepted, loved, and appreciated. Facing the knowledge that I could be giving, charitable, kind, and loving for all the wrong reasons was eye-opening. As I peeled back the onion of my psyche, I realized I played the helpful good-doer in the lives of others and the community to be liked and to be thought well of. Sure, I had compassion and loving-kindness for the people in need, but I wanted others to know I was good and worthy of their praise and friendship. I have at times worn myself out to the point of exhaustion to gain respect and admiration of others. My quest in learning about Eastern religions brought me great understanding of myself. But this was over time. First, I came across Paramahansa Yogananda and the Self-Realization Fellowship he founded in the early 20th century. He came to the United States in order to bring Eastern thinking and spirituality to the West. His methods merged thinking of Christians with philosophy of Hindus to bring the understanding that all religions are a pathway to divine power and peace. The Self-Realization Fellowship, SRF, is located in Los Angeles, California, but has locations all around the world. Yogananda instructs the devotees of the SRF in meditation and daily life, through a series of lessons. I received the lessons for three years by mail. Every week. I learned so much about my thoughts, my beliefs, my self-sabotage, and a way out of daily suffering. Learning the way of meditation and of universal faith, not based on religion, brought me some clarity and strength. Meditation practice begins slowly. The practice itself is always growing, always changing, and never ceasing. For me, I saw meditation as a hope for eventual wisdom, a way out of this darkness. So I kept at it, unknowingly at the time, that this practice manifests changes in the practitioner slowly over long periods of time and without instant recognition. I didn't see changes happening. My ability to manage stress, pressure, and anxiety became more fine-tuned. My intuition gradually spoke louder and more clear. The lightness in which I walk in daily moments increased. My tolerance of others and my patience in life grew. Of course, I can only say this now looking back at my journey. In the midst of daily interaction with life, struggle, and routine, I was unaware. 
Beginning the quest into understanding each Eastern religion, I often heard the term enlightenment. This is usually associated with monks, ascetics, sages, swamis, and Buddha. This was my goal, too. Enlightenment must be the place we get to when we are free from the world. It is the balance and peace I sought after. I was wrong. Enlightenment is not a destination. It is not the end of place in this world. Enlightenment is the name of the middle path of awareness. It is the continued striving for becoming free from clinging and attachments. This road is a long road and a continuous journey for the soul as one learns to separate the soul from the mind, from the ego. My toes have begun to touch this pathway. My awareness is more acute daily. My learning and understanding never cease to grow deeper. My attachments become less and less. Therefore, my suffering lessens. I still think sometimes, how long is this pathway? How many more times do I have to learn certain things before I can actually master the teachings? Will I ever be able to let go of some attachments that I have been holding onto for decades? Well, this is a journey. A journey about me and my fellow travelers. I will start every day where I wake up at. I will face every moment as present as I can. I will continue to practice. So in week one, we are going to just talk about some exercises that I would like you to look over over the next few days. Um, so if you have a pen and paper, you could write these down. They also are available on, on my blog. These are our exercises for contemplation of week one, awareness of our suffering. First, Examine areas in your life you suffer over. What are these? How do you suffer? What are the ways you feel emotions? How do you react? How does it affect your activity and your focus? And if you peel back your emotional suffering and the causes for your suffering, what do you find those reasons to be? Do they connect with a large fear or a foundational fear? Have you had experiences in the past associated with this fear? Examine your state of mind and your daily routine. Is there anything you are clinging to? Anything that you feel you can't live without? Anything that you do on a regular basis, habitually, that you feel is a necessity? 
What types of things are you clinging to? And this includes ideals, dreams, expectations, possessions, relationships, identity. Why do you think you cling to these things? How do you feel about your expectations for yourself? Have you lived up to these expectations? Have you let yourself down in your expectations? And then this week, I want you to start a meditation practice. And we have some guided meditations available. The internet is also full of them. Five minutes a day, sit quietly, focusing on your breath. If you can go to 10 minutes, great. Remembering that our mind wanders. It's not about having a clean slate or a blank mind. It's about noticing the mind. It's about training the mind to come back and be present and focus on breath. Try to do this every day, five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. And as you start doing this, are you able to do it every day? And if not, what hinders you? What gets in the way? When you meditate, what do you experience as you focus on your breath? How do you feel after you meditate? Are you judgmental of yourself when your mind wanders? And what do you hear yourself say? What's that chatter in your mind say when your mind wanders? And then have a little paper or a notebook with you as you walk around and jot down attachments that you notice. See what you are clinging to and how strong this attachment may be. Make notes of your mental clinging How is your mind reacting? What do you get disappointed about when it doesn't happen the way you expect? What do you do to accomplish your attachments or your clinging? What feelings does your attachment provoke within you? Even reactions outside of yourself. Are there any clear attachments you may be ready to let go of yet? Things that just came up immediately. Yes, this is something I'm clinging to. And can you try to let it go? What happens if you just open your hand and let go of that? How about just imagining letting go? Start there. Imagine letting go of of that one thing that you have to have or that expectation that just runs around in your mind. How does it make you feel as you imagine yourself releasing the clinging? Thank you for joining us for week one, Awareness of Suffering. This is Emily Strunk, and I will see you next week in 26 Weeks of Awakening.